Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who like to use a lot of words yet say nothing at all Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 164 for January 6, 2014. On today's show, we're talking about when it's safe to remove a blade guard and riving knife, resawing to conserve wood, making a wooden plane and shooting board that work together, your first workbench, buying stock in the rough, and disposing of old power tools. But before we get to that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Festool. Some tools stand apart the most when they're working all together. Explore a full system designed to deliver more precise results at FestoolUSA.com. Crap, I just pulled the thing out of my headphones. I was so excited. Hold on. <laughs> oh, there we are. All right. All right. Well, it's the first show of the year and, uh, well, 2014. And we got the last few shows of the year. We were dabbling in this uh, for the last couple of months of the year is doing a couple of those single topic episodes. And the feedback on that has been uh, really good. It seems like people really like it when we take the time out, even if it's a slightly shorter show to focus on one particular thing and really hash it out. Uh, and especially that overrated woodworking show was the one that we got a lot of uh, good comments on. It seems like people really like that. Uh, and in fact, they asked for more. So I thought some of the comments are just really overrated. <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, pretty, uh, pretty sure that was my idea, wasn't it? Um, yeah. uh, anyway, so next topic we're going to move on to, uh, <laughs> to un- sodas. Yeah, to underrated woodworking. In fact, I think someone I just saw, because uh, I kind of took a break from the forum and went back in and was playing catch up, and I saw there was a, a thread on underrated woodworking stuff. So uh, maybe that's something we could do too. But I, I don't want to look at the thread because I don't want it to give me ideas. And then I got to go thank somebody for inspiring the idea and all that crap. So I'm going to try. <laughs> And then once we get through that, we can go to moderately rated ideas. Yeah, this could be a never-ending series, guys. Definitely. We're, I think we're on to something. Maybe we'll just branch out a whole new show about it. Oh, cool. And then eventually we can come back around to like semi-overrated, but yet <laughs> not overrated. Exactly. All right. Well, let's move into what's on the bench. I'll go first. I am moving on to a sculpted sitting bench, and it's called the Contemplation Bench. And uh, that's the next guild build. And it's it's going to be fun. It reminds me of early stages in my woodworking where I was biting off way more than I can chew by trying to take on like as many David Marks projects as I could (laughs) before I had any business like wielding these tools. Uh, (laughs) I I assume that this was actually going to be a uh, throwback to your younger years, like a a total flashback to Mark, go sit in that corner right now and I want you to contemplate what you just did. That's what it is. Yeah, that's a great name for a timeout bench that it's a good idea. Contemplation uh, okay. bench. Yeah, put a nice positive spin on it. Um, Go well, contemplate what you've done. Well, Get you know, in the contemplation corner right now on your <laughs> contemplation bench. Well, the funny thing about it is as I was uh, filming the video, I'm explaining why I call it that. And the thing is, this bench is not super comfortable. I mean, no no bench really is all that comfortable, but uh, it's just fairly simple in design, just kind of cradles your tush. And it, it's just not like you're, you're not sitting in a Maloof rocker on this thing. Um, but the logic behind it is it's the kind of chair that I, I envision someone sitting on to think. And when I think, I don't necessarily want to be lulled to sleep. So like the more comfortable, uh, it's not that it's uncomfortable. It's just you have to be sort of attentive while you're in it. Um, so so that's why I call it the contemplation bench because you, you can sit in it and think about things, but it makes you a little more alert and doesn't make you all sleepy and tired like, um, you know, like a, a much more comfortable chair would. Well, you know what works for me in a similar manner is the toilet. It, it's it, it's supportive. You never fall asleep there. Uh, well, maybe in the middle of the night, but yeah. not normally during the day. Because usually I have fellow coworkers banging on the door, going, "What are you doing in there? Seriously, 
get out of there, Matt. Uh, well, you know, here's the thing. I, this this project involves a lot of that power carving stuff that I like to do. And I decided I wanted to show folks some of the other power carving options other than, um, uh, what do you call it, like the turbo plane and, and things that I've used in the past. Um, so I, I picked up one of those Lancelot uh, or carving discs. It's basically the one that has like the chainsaw um, thing wrapped around it. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, Sounds I think painful. so. All right. Well, it does sound painful. Well, speaking of that, I'm glad you guys said that because I'm I'm looking at it and I've, I've heard a lot about this over the years and I just never purchased one. So I was like, ah, what the heck? I'll spend a few bucks. At least I'll be able to demo it, show people how it works. Well, one of the first things I found with, with this was a forum post about this poor guy who used this and you put it in an angle grinder and he just didn't know what he was doing. So he's running it with one hand and trying to hollow out a large block of wood, I guess kind of to make a a bowl out of it. So he's got the wood in one hand and the tool in the other. Now this is something you never, ever, ever do this with one hand. It's always a two handed operation. And, uh, and he didn't know that. And so this thing ricochets off of the workpiece, and basically, um, uh, it almost, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, it like almost cut his head off. Um, oh my God. It, it basically cut across his neck and somehow skipped over <sighs> like, you know, his artery and just kind of kept going. So, it, you, know, you know, what's not really, what's not funny about this is that actually comes up on page one under Google images. When you Google Lancelot carving, okay, that's how I found it. I was the like second image on page one yeah. is so wait like a minute. this dude's neck laid open. <laughs> Oh so my you, God! That, that's how you found it, Mark, and you decided that was a great way to go. After, what you're saying? after the fact, I was I was looking oh, oh, at gotcha. looking for information on it to see what because they have a couple different versions of it. So I wanted to see what folks are generally using, and I quickly found that post, and I was just like, "All right, that that's a bit of an eye opener." Because I, it's not like I talk about these things in any sort of unsafe way, but um, that made me remember just how how bad things can go if you're not aware of what's going on. So I cannot jump into this. You know, I may even just bring that into the the video and show them, look, this is available, but based on what I've seen, like, I'm not sure I even want this thing in my angle grinder. Um, you know, just again, looking at the blade, the blade looks angry. I is. mean, not even looking yeah, really at that does. picture. Well, I mean, it really is, uh, you know, little chainsaw teeth on there. So ultimately, it's like there's a lot of different ways to do this, and they're all dangerous. But when you think about the difference between that type of a cutting surface versus maybe the uh, abrasive discs that they have, where it's a very, it's a very rigid metal, um, but it's kind of like a rasp uh, sort of material on the end, and you kind of grind away the the wood into a lot of fine powder and dust. So yeah, it makes a heck of a mess. Um, and and big chips seem to be better than than tiny dust. But in terms of safety. Sure, that can be dangerous, but I don't think that that tool is going to lay you open quite the same way as that Lancelot disc will. Wow, yeah, that's it. So, looks like somebody was trying to like create some gills for the poor guy. Holy. Yeah, well, you know what? And and luckily the guy, you know, he survived and had a, a few hundred stitches to get that thing closed up. But um, not to dwell on that. I hate dwelling on these like really dangerous safety stuff. But it, just be aware of it and. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's just a painful reminder to me, and especially rem- remembering our responsibility to people to to make sure that we cover these things and really make sure they understand how to use the tool the best they can and and uh, in the safest way possible. So, absolutely. You know, you know, it's funny because the minute you said he was holding the block on one hand, like everybody, you know, all three of us, and probably everybody listening to this is like, oh my god, why would you do that? Yep. But think about how many times when you've like done something stupid like that, like. Mm-hmm. Not even in the heat of the moment, but just in the moment. You're like, oh, well, this is what I'll do, you know? And 
It's like the guy I saw today walking across the parking lot on a high wind holding two sheets of plywood, like trying to carry two <laughs> sheets of plywood in high wind. Because it goes through your mind to think you want to do that. But then I'm thinking, yeah, I've probably done that. Well, look, I mean, before. when you don't really completely understand the physics of the situation and you don't have enough experience under your belt, like when I hold a router and I think about a router bit spinning and going into a workpiece, sometimes when I want to explain it, I really have to think about what's happening. But instinctively, having done it so many times, I know exactly where the piece needs to go, which direction it should go. If I'm on the other side or like the inside of a circle that, that I just kind of have it in my head locked away. Uh, early on, you don't really have that sort of uh, those red flags that go off uh, when you have the experience. So, I mean, when I first started woodworking, I was running um, end grain, a vertical board, like a six inch wide board end grain across the jointer because I wanted to shorten it a little bit. And I thought that I wouldn't be able to get like that. I was trying to get maybe a 32nd of an inch off. And I'm like, well, the jointer does that, right? So I'm running this piece vertically <laughs> across the jointer bed. Nice. And uh, that was probably my most, uh, well, I almost crapped my pants on that one. Let's put it that way. Um, we actually had a guy do that. <clears throat> one of the classes I took at Chuck Bender school, uh, you know, he's got a bench room and a, and a machine room. Yeah. And I walked into the machine room and one of my classmates was, he had like a six foot long board, like stand it up on edge, running it right over the joiner. I'm like, whoa, 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 stop. He's like, <laughs> what? Chuck comes in the room. And he's just like, take a break. <laughs> Like, uh, here's the refund right for your class. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just one of those things where you can't really even uh, fault anybody for it. These are the things that you learn as you go. And some of us somehow, you know, kind of like people are like, oh, well, when I was a kid, I didn't have to wear a, a helmet when I was on my bike. I survived somehow. <laughs> it's like, well, right. you know, not everybody is that lucky. Some people screw up uh, really bad. So anyway, that'll be on my mind as I'm going through that video series and, and making sure people know how to do it as safely as possible. And uh, that's about it for me. How about you, Shannon? Uh, let's see. Well, um, one thing that I kind of totally forgot about until this morning was I actually signed up to take one of Scott Meek's plane making classes. Oh, the online and, um, ones or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's been emailing everybody in the class the last couple of days and I got a blade in the mail from him and everything. I was like, okay, this is coming up. And then I looked at my, uh, he's got a bunch of, uh, documents in a, in a Google drive thing that you can all access. I looked at it and I was like, oh crap that's tonight. <laughs> so uh, I actually emailed Scott, what time is that again? Cause if it's around six o'clock, that's going to be a problem. So I, you know, it's not like I forgot about it. It's just, man, this January 1st thing kind of snuck up on me. So yeah. I'm kind of looking forward to that. I'm interested to see how, you know, anybody, you know, I know how to make those planes I and mean, the laminated planes, they're relatively straightforward, but somebody like Scott, who's been making a lot of them, I, really kind of curious to see the process he goes through. Sure. So I signed up and, you know, last thing I need is another plane, but heck, it'll be fun. Yeah, I might learn I'm something. I'm doing that. But at the same time, I just came off of a, of a well, we all kind of had a bit of a break. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a couple good days in the shop and a couple of good days sitting on the couch doing nothing. And I started to take stock of kind of where I am in the shop and the things that I've got to get done. And I have to admit, I'm horribly daunted. <laughs> I have, I have not even so much that there's a lot of stuff, but I've got like a lot of plans on a lot of little things that I want to get done. And it's mm-hmm. just like, man, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. So I usually just leave the shop and go watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that here that I am not the only one that does that because I really, 
I, you know, I, I mentioned that I had like, you know, um, kind of a last minute vacation last week where basically it's because we're so slow at work. They're like, Matt, take the next few days off. OK, OK, <laughs> I'll do that. And cool. the whole entire time I kept thinking, I've got this list. I'm going to just barrel through this stuff. And the only thing that happened was I got caught up on all my Netflix watching. Uh, <laughs> I made nice. a new indent on the middle cushion of the couch. <laughs> just trying to spread it out a little bit. That's, exactly. that's important. It's really important. <laughs> well, I, I did confront something similar to this recently, and that's why I, uh, I even posted a picture of my calendar on Facebook. Because the, the to me, the easiest way to handle this type of thing when I've got that daunting list is to actually is to put the list down and then put that list into the calendar and just try to make that whatever I think is a good idea initially, try to make that happen throughout the, the, that particular month. And uh, so far it's working for me because I was daunted. And now every day I know exactly, I'm not worried about what's being done next week. All I have to worry about is what's being done tomorrow uh, or, or today, depending on how you look at it. Um, so, I mean, if you haven't done that yet, try, try the good old fashioned calendar thing and see if you can't you know, divvy those things out. Nice. What if I just want to sit on the couch? Well, I guess it just depends on your goals. <laughs> Why you got to be like all organized and crap? Come on. Because normally I'm not. You know, I'm like the, the reformed smoker who wants everyone else to stop smoking. Um, I just now figured it out for myself. So I want to share it with everyone. Uh, cool. Well, what about you, Matt? Uh, well, pretty much as I mentioned, I, I pretty much did nothing. I sat around. I am finally coming out of my holiday food stupor, which is just <laughs> great because it's amazing with that much sugar and who knows what other processed foods mm-hmm. have completely done to my brain because I, the past two weeks have just been like this haze of amazement. But now I am having trouble fitting into some of my pants, so I probably should get down to the shop and maybe do a little work, you know, kind of the uh, – the woodworkers exercise, which is where I'll just plane stuff for hours on end, hoping I'll sweat off the extra calories. Or, or you just bring back spandex. Ooh, well, go. yeah, that's a good idea. It always I, fits. I'm going to write Matt. that down right now. Can you put that on the calendar for me, Mark? <laughs> sure, sure. Get to that one. But actually, <laughs> you the, know, the, even spandex has a limit, though. <laughs> yeah, but you really got <laughs> to work. The spandex to get start to creak. That's a cry for help. <laughs> it takes that a while strange. to hit that limit, though. <laughs> yeah, as long as there's not one, if you have one single tear in it, it's all going to fly. So you got to make sure you get the good ones, the reinforced. Right. But actually, I did have an opportunity as I suddenly panicked, thinking, "Oh my gosh, it's been a long time since I put a video up." Oh my gosh, I start, I go back to work tomorrow. So yesterday, uh, I, I I posted a new video that between Saturday and Sunday, I had finally put the legs on Aiden's platform bed. So now it's fifty percent of the way. Onto being a real bed at this point, if we put the mattress on this, the mattress would be up off the floor, but I don't have the right support system built for the inside of it yet. So at some point, the mattress would just sink through the middle of it. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't really do much for him at this point, but it gives me that sense of accomplishment because, hey, I'm making progress. There you go. Just tell him it's extra soft. It's like <laughs> a pillow top. <laughs> it just swooshed down into the middle. So cool. that is pretty much all I have been going – has been happening in my shop. Like I said, the, pretty much all of December – Man, it's been it's been nothing. <laughs> nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with a little break once in a while. I'll tell you that exactly. much. Exactly. All right, let's move into what's new. Got a couple of things here. Uh, not a whole lot, just because it's uh, right after the holidays, so things tend to be a little bit slow. But Chris Wong over at Flair Woodworks is having a shop stool build off and uh, helping to sponsor the event by offering up a guild membership. So uh, real simple, you just build a shop stool, and there's really not not a lot in the way of rules or restrictions other than I. Th- 
think everything starts like on the 25th and you should have it done fairly quickly. So you can do as much work ahead of time as you want, but you just need to share your process and what you did and share the pictures online. And he's going to give away a few prizes for that. So just like a little, a little something to get you started in, in the new year, get you back in the shop, a nice, simple shop stool, which really for me, my shop stool is probably, if I think about it, it's probably the most used piece of furniture I've ever made. Um, yes. Just because it's always it's always under my butt in the shop, so I'm using. Was it, it all your the time. contemplation stool? Yes, this is my tall contemplation stool. <laughs> <laughs> That's for really big thoughts or yeah. deep thoughts. Exactly. All right, and the other thing we have is I don't know if you guys saw this, but Popular Woodworking like they finally released an app for iOS. Yeah, and, I did see this, mm-hmm, and oh. I don't know. I, from what I hear, I guess they already had one for Android, possibly, and there was a Kindle deal. I don't, I don't follow anything but iOS most of the time because uh, <laughs> I'm one of those jerks. Um, but it's similar to the fine woodworking one where you're, where it's like a standalone app. Everything is inside that app. Your subscriptions are specifically made within that app. And that's the question that's coming up a lot. I even saw it in the forum, saw it on Twitter. Uh, people wondering whether their other digital subscriptions will transfer over to this new iOS app. And the answer is no. They will oh. not. Yeah, it, it is its own little universe that you have to go and subscribe to if you want to. So if you're subscribed to something now, you could wait till that expires, then go back into this app and start your digital subscription there. Uh, well, that's good news, actually, because I got a lot of iTunes money for uh, the holidays. And mm-hmm. I think I do have my subscription ending very soon. And I was thinking, mm, do I really want to resubscribe or do I want to go hang out at the book stand with my mocha cappuccino, mocha. Uh, non-fat with extra whip? Totally. Uh, the other thing, I did talk to Megan about it, and she said, just keep in mind, the only one that you can print from if you wanted to print out your copy is the PDF version that you can subscribe to. And also, she dropped the hint that they actually make the most money from the PDF. So if you are on the fence and you don't really care which version, uh, go for the PDF because you help them out more directly. You're not splitting money with uh, Apple <laughs> in that, <laughs> when, you have to, when you make your purchase. So. All right, let's move into our poll of the week from our good buddy, Tom Iovino at tomsworkbench.com. He asked, uh, do you make woodworking or did you make a woodworking New Year's resolution? Did you guys, uh, I guess we talked about this a little bit um, right. as far as like next year's goals, but do you ever bother with like official resolutions, something you make a big deal about and then wind up not doing anyway? Oh God, yes. Every, every day. I mean, every year. <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, for me, it's something like the bigger deal you make of it and it's like, I'm going to do this big thing. But I personally, I think the more likely you are to fail um, because it's usually a very unrealistic thing. So for me, I set very realistic goals, a lot of small, very realistic goals so that I could feel really good about myself at the end of the year. Like, yes, I got those things done. None of them matter, but I got them all done. Yeah. I have those short term ones. Like (laughs) I'm going to clear off the workbench and then it's like, now I'm going to clear off the table saw. Wait, no, I got to go back. I got to clear off the workbench now. All right. So there were uh, some simple answers for this one. Uh, 46% said, no, I have not. 29% 29% said, yes, I sure have. And 24% said, I never thought about doing that. So there you go. <laughs> Very nice. See, I find that it's it's useful never to use the word resolution. Yeah. And that way it's okay when you fail. Like I even wrote a blog post on this and I don't think I said resolution in it once. It was all <laughs> like, here are some of the goals. Like, And I, I kind of went the opposite direction, Mark. I went, I aimed aimed high. I, <laughs> there's a lot of things that I want to try to do this year and I may never get to them, but I yeah. think if, even if I get started on them, I'm going to be happy with right, it. Right. Um, but 
No, yeah, that makes I, sense. That makes I don't sense. call them resolutions because well, then you're just bound to fail. See, that's a good point. When I when I think about resolutions, those I make things that I know I can achieve. Generally, I do have other goals, though. I just don't call them res- resolutions because I probably had those goals in December as well. <laughs> like right. this, this is where I want to go with my future and my business and all that crap. But uh, yeah. yeah, all right. So let's go into kickback. Now we don't have any email kickback, but I'm going to add this in kind of last minute. Like you guys don't even know about it. So what? Yeah, take that. Um, on Facebook, taking control of the show. I am, I am on Facebook recently. I had a gentleman write me and take issue with our precision and accuracy talk. And, uh, you know, no one ever takes issue with anything we say, uh, on this show. Cause usually we're so serious about it and and straight. It it goes, it goes in one ear and they're like, I agree. And that's (laughs) it. Yeah. So, so he really took offense uh, literally was offended by our discussion about accuracy and precision. And I wrote him back and I was snarky back with him because I thought it was inappropriate for him. I was offended by his taking offense and, uh, which is always a productive way to start a conversation. Um, but ultimately, you know, just to kind of clarify, maybe you guys can, can help me, uh, well, what was he offended about? Okay, well, basically, he was the type of person... I guess I need person, to listen to that again, because I'm trying to figure out what was offensive. Well, I listened to it, and nothing was offensive. The bottom line was the three of us kind of have a similar methodology and mindset where we like to get away from measuring as much as possible, only when necessary, because we feel that there's a source of error there. And because all three oh, of us... Mark. like lazy. <laughs> that, that too. Um, because all three of us are kind of on the same you know, uh, on, we're very similar in that regard. It may make it sound like we're kind of bashing on measuring and marking to some extent. Although I don't think we ever did bash on it. I may have made reference to us bashing it as a joke, but I don't think we were ever offensive or, um, inappropriate in how we were talking about that. Cause the bottom line is there are a lot of people, especially folks who have like that sort of engineer's mindset who do woodwork that way and get in exceptional results. And for them, that's, that's what works for them. And I think, Across the board, anything we ever talk about on this show is usually just our opinion or the way that we do it. That I don't think we have ever said anybody doing anything a particular way is blatantly wrong, unless it's something like stupid or dangerous. But, I mean, you could work, woodwork half naked with a ruler in your hand and, you know, dancing the whole time. And I don't think any, any of us are going to say that that's wrong. If that's what Which you, half? <laughs> you know, um, it's only wrong when you catch it on video and then you accidentally <laughs> release it. Well, that's definitely wrong. Um, so, so yeah, I think we're very open-minded. At least we try to be in, in how people would work. I can give you an example here. Um, Daryl Peart, when I took a class with him building a, um, green and green end table, he gives a cut list that's out to like the decimal places are out to the thousandth and everything is in decimal format. There's no fractions. So if you want to figure out what the measurement is and you're used to working in fractions, you've actually got to go get a little chart and, or, or remind yourself of what those fractions are. Um, and he walks around with a set of calipers in his shop apron. This, this is how the guy, I mean, you can't argue with Daryl Peart's work. He makes exceptional work. Um, but this is the way he chooses to do it. Now, I don't personally like woodworking that way, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that we're sort of, um, you know, our way is right. And that way is wrong. I don't think we were intending to come across like that. So there, uh, you know, that's the kickback. Um, but I, I guess I just wanted to take another opportunity to sort of defend ourselves and say that that's not how we intended it to come across. Right. And I'm, I'm totally going to agree with you on this, which I think I, I agreed with you on, on that particular episode. But it is, I think, a fair share of our audience is very much the engineer mindset. And mm-hmm. uh, those individuals, you have to realize, gentlemen and ladies, that you you know that you're very much 
this is the way you do it. You have to do it this way. You can't veer away from this normal. And obviously, I think the three of us are just like, yeah, we'll just go with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it at all. It's just a different way I remember of doing it. I had a conversation with Charles Brown about this when he started teaching his sculpted rockers. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually, and he, this is a guy who's been teaching like in a public school for 30 some years. He knows how to teach. And um, he really ran into problems when it came to the sculpting part. Because, you know, you build one of those chairs, you build it just as like a square, bulky chair, and yeah. then you carve it once mm-hmm. it's all put together. And um, he said that he really had a hard time. He had people saying, well, you know, how far down do I draw this line? He's like, you know, until it looks good. About, about there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and really had a lot, of, a lot of trouble with that. And I could see, um, I guess maybe I am of the opposite. Yes, I was a music major. Of course, I'm of the opposite. I'm more of the kind of feel the line and embrace your inner, your inner hippie. I don't know. Um, but uh, I can imagine that that would be incredibly frustrating. And actually, when, when you kind of put yourself in this gentleman's shoes, you can uh, st- understand why you go from frustrated to offended really fast because we're making light of a situation that, you know, is, is this is how I work. How dare you? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. And I also, I have a feeling, Mark, that when you typed that email response, you probably used a lot of hand motions and it probably came <laughs> through in the email. I did. That's Knocked it. my water over. I was so excited. He's probably like thinking it was really aggressive. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, well, he didn't write me back, so I guess I uh, annoyed him sufficiently. Um, all right. Let's move on to our voicemail here. We've got one from Roberto. Hey, guys. How you doing? This is Roberto from Illinois. <clears throat> I wanted to ask you guys about Woodworking CNC machine, specifically the Rockler Shark HD version 2.0. It's about four grand. And let's just say I had some money that I wanted to burn. Do you guys recommend this? I remember Mark, you said a while back that you had a CNC guy. Just wanted to know what he thinks about a woodworking CNC. I'm sure it'll be fantastic in the shop. I just don't know if there's other CNC machines out there. This is the first one I've seen in a while. Um, let me know. Thanks. The way Roberto said that, I was half expecting him to be like, uh, let's just say this money fell off a truck. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> and then someone went missing. Did you watch The Godfather this Christmas break too? That's... <laughs> that was awesome. All right. Well, I'm looking at uh, what Rockler has right now. They've got a number of those shark different models. And basically it's just a mini desktop bench top CNC machine. Uh, they've also got that click and carve thing with the glass dealy that, or the plastic hood that folds down, looks kind of like a, um, laser jet printer. Uh, you know, the, I don't know much about these machines. I know that for many people, CNC is incredibly valuable and there's a lot of woodworking and a lot of doors open up. If you've got one of these machines for me, it, it's, it hasn't gotten to that point for me personally, where I would ever, invest in it at least right now. Um, and like you said, I do have a quote unquote CNC guy. Uh, my buddy Ron has a, a full size CNC machine. He can do anything that when I need that type of work done, he's my dude. Um, but I've even without that, I just don't know that I would pull the trigger. And I think it really depends on what your shop goals are, what you want to do, uh, well, whether or not that well, makes actually, sense. What does that mean when you say he has a full size CNC? Machine. What it what is a full size CNC machine? Something that would take up a one car garage, really, like Damn. massive. Like so, he can that easily pop in, you know, four by eight sheets and and you know take it down to whatever dimensions and size parts he needs. 
But we're still talking about like two axis machines, not like the three multi axis things where you throw wood in and out comes the chair. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. So okay. two, two axis, uh, as far as I'm aware. Um, but you know, so these, these shark ones are just a little bit smaller. They're, they're more realistic, I think for the, the home or small shop woodworker to do these things. And I think it's just whether or not it's worth it. I mean, they seem like they're decent machines. They're well-reviewed, but whether or not it's worth it kind of really depends on what you plan to do with your work. Maybe you have a lot of signs to carve. You need to do lettering, very specific moldings that you have trouble finding or, or any kind of design that you can make use of it. Then, then, Hey, go for it. It seems like a good way to do it for me personally. I don't know much about it just because I'm not that interested in it personally. I mean, you guys have any perspective on these smaller units? Matt, no, Shannon. I, have a feeling, <laughs> I, I have a feeling this would be like, you remember when photocopiers first came on the scene and people like photocopied their butt and stuff like that? So <laughs> I, I am know. not CNC in my butt. That would just be gross. <laughs> it's just one of those things where you like, you started to photocopy stuff that you totally didn't need copies of just because it was cool. Yeah. I somehow think that I would start doing that. Like I, I, <laughs> I just went over to Rockler's webpage and in the little recommended like accessories, there's a thing called a touch probe which sounds dirty in and of itself. And it's like, like tracing the contours on uh, a quarter. Yeah. I was like, Oh, cool. I could carve a quarter into wood. So I would do it, you know, because it would be fun to see it. And then I'd end up with a bunch of wooden quarters. Go Now what? And then I'd be like, what else can I trace? <laughs> Let me put my and, face know, under there. Feeding the dog into the machine just to see what happens. <laughs> right. Suddenly gumball machines all around your area are being robbed with uh, wooden quarters. Ooh, I <laughs> thought about that. It kind of reminds me of like the uh, 3D printing thing. Like if I had one, what would I actually do with it? <laughs> right. Like, you know, what, what would I make out of that that would be useful? Um, so it's very, it's very work dependent. So I don't think any of us really know anything about these particular units, the sharks, but they, like I said, are pretty, from what I'm seeing, pretty well reviewed, seems to be working for the folks who have them. So if that's something you want to get into Roberto, I say, go for it. Um, do a little research though. Talk to some CNC people, uh, maybe seek out a forum or something that, uh, is specifically focused on CNC and get some wider perspective. Cause I don't think we have a whole lot to, to offer on that realistically. I would actually recommend going to, um, wood chat there are Wednesday nights, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a couple of guys that, that are regulars on WoodChat that are CNC owners. Oh, okay. And a couple of um, um, professionals who are CNC owners yeah. as well. Um, and unfortunately, I'm not going to remember anybody's name, but I, I know this topic has come up in WoodChat before. So, um, Roberto, look it up. Cool. Wood and, chat. And another really good resource is 100kgarages.com. Now, it's 100kgarages. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it, that's a, it's a full-on website of people who have CNCs, people who are looking for people that have CNCs. I think there's plans, there's all that stuff there, and it might yet be another really great resource to turn to to decide if it's something that you want. The only thing I keep thinking of is this is definitely one of those things that if you are, say, like our one uh, audience member who was a little upset with us about you know our relative dimensioning, uh, this is definitely one of those things. That, well, the CNC is going to give you the ultimate in making sure that all your parts come out exactly as you want. <laughs> cool. All right. And we also got this as a voicemail. It's a little bit after the fact, but I, I don't want to wait till next year to play it. So there's the time to buy more tools. La 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 la. Buy a jointer than a planer. La 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 la. Buy some chisels and some scrapers. Something else, something else to sharpen them. Don't forget to buy your wife a lovely tool. Something that she will like. Bye. That's nice. 
<laughs> That's so nice. That must be what Samantha said that one night I had a lot to drink. Apparently it was the eggnog was spiked and I left a voicemail and she wouldn't tell me what I said. That must have been the one. That was well, it. That was our good buddy, Demented Woodworker. Also okay, known as, I was going to say, are we going to identify this person? Yeah. or Also known as the MedTech Woodworker. <laughs> okay, let's move into our, bleh, I almost said voicemail, email. And I got one here from Justin. He says, just got a saw stop from my loving wife for Christmas after my uncle and cousin both cut their fingers on their table saws. Uh, now are both happy owners of saw stops. Just a quick question about the blade guard and the riving knife. My previous table saw didn't have either one, so I was wondering what situations you would use them for and what situations would be safe to take them off, if at all. For example, when using a sled for non-through cuts. Okay, so here's the deal. Generally speaking... The way I like to look at it is if you can have them on, put them on. Very simple rule. doesn't have to get more complicated than that. Some cuts, as you said, sleds, non-through cuts, dados, things like that, you may not be able to have all the gear on there. But whatever you can, as long as it's not getting in the way of the push block or whatever you're using to push the wood through, you do want that stuff on there. And it's a different mindset. If you're not used to having it there, you have a tendency to want to take it off all the time. You also have a tendency to think that just because you can't see the cut that somehow you're not going to be able to make the cut. And a lot of times what you really need to focus on is the location of your hand and making sure that the workpiece is nice and, and firm against the fence. If those things are happening, then you don't necessarily need to watch that blade so much. You just need to get the piece safely past the blade. Um, so you know that everything is done properly. So I, I would say that my riving knife is in 99% of the time. And, and for me, I, I have made a few cuts on someone else's saw in, in the past that didn't have some sort of a splitter. And I swear, it just makes me super nervous. Not like, you know, something is definitely going to go wrong, but I just feel, I feel naked somehow. Do, like, do you feel like maybe you're clinched totally up yeah. someplace when you're making that pass when there's not a riving knife? I mean, I, I clinch up hard. Yeah, it's, it's, hold on guys. I've got a dead battery in my stupid headphones. It's like going bleh, bleh, bleh. All right, so I don't know where the heck I was with that, but ultimately, uh, riving knife, I keep that on 99.9% of the time, unless I absolutely can't, and the guard, I'm a little bit less mm, consistent with that. Um, I try to remember to bring it down. I've got the Brett guard, which kind of folds up and out of the way, and I don't put it down as often as I should, which makes me a loser, but uh, you should put your blade guard on <laughs> as often as possible. That's very for me. The blade yard is more or less keeping as much of the sawdust out of my face as possible, yeah. uh, less than it is a, a safety device. Now I know that's probably not a good thing to say, but that's that's pretty much how I see it. I I'm, I am definitely though with you there on the riving knife. But you it know what, has dude? To be in place. Even if it's for the wrong reasons, it's making you do it. So <laughs> you like yes. you get the extra added benefit of the safety because I mean that's what's great about that particular design. Saw stops uh, designed for dust collection with that um, shroud over the blade is pretty darn effective for collecting dust more than any other manufacturer I've ever seen. So, mm -hmm. so if that's all working well, just, you know, because you want dust collection and you want the safety, you're more likely to use it. Right. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Shannon. Alrighty. Um, Andreas <clears throat> wrote in and he's been looking at the, the nail cabinet, Roy Underhill's nail cabinet. And there's a, Schwarz has got some stuff on his blog about it, and it's in the latest issue of Popular Woodworking Magazine. Uh, he said it looked like it would be fun to build and useful to have. But looking at the details, I notice it's made of pine, and a good number of the components are a half inch or three eighths inch thick. 
I have access to one inch rough pine air dried that I'd like to use, but it seems wasteful to plane down from one inch to three eighths. Yet it seems equally silly to attempt resawing one inch pine. Uh, you guys have talked before about doing this with hardwoods, but does the value of the board play into this equation? In other words, will you resaw mahogany the pine just because, well, pine? So, uh, you know, I, I personally, I don't think so. I don't think the species really makes a difference to me. If I can get two parts out of one board, I'll try to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I resaw something and, you know, I get a, I get a piece left over, but what am I really going to do with that piece? If I can, if I can't use that piece in the immediate project, I will probably think twice about doing the resaw. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, you know, if I'm making drawers or something like that and I can split a board down the middle and have two drawer sides, I will absolutely do it regardless of what the species is. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's the other thing about this nail cabinet. You don't necessarily have to have them in that, those thinner components. I mean, there is a, a proportion type thing that kind of matters, but don't go to huge lengths to uh, dimension your parts to exactly whatever it says in that cut list. Um, if you're making more work for yourself, then, you know, you can make them a little bit thicker too. Cause you know how we feel about cut lists and people who use them. Just don't even get me started on them. They're I'll like people who measure motions. <laughs> people who measure and use cut lists. Stupid measuring. They're not woodworkers. <laughs> wonderful. Throw my calipers at them. Oh, <laughs> uh, wonderful. All right. Let's move on before you dig that hole any deeper. <laughs> All right. Well, this one comes in from Joshua, and Joshua says, I've wanted to make a Krenoff-style wooden hand plane for some time now. I also want to make a shooting board for squaring up ends, and especially for 45-degree miters. I'm thinking about combining these two and making the wooden plane as a dedicated shooting board plane and then designing the shooting board around it. Now, uh, Joshua goes on to ask, I, I can then leave the wooden plane somewhat square and have it ride in a track. Are there any bits of advice you can give on blade angles or geometry or any combination of devices? Are there any angle limits for the wooden planes? I would imagine a wooden low-angle bevel-up plane may tax the material a little too much. I was planning on getting the uh, metal hardware from Hawk Tools. Uh, So, Joshua, first of all, when it comes to the idea of a wooden shooting board plane, I think that's a fantastic idea. Uh, One thing I would definitely suggest is making it as heavy as possible. I mean, that's the that's one thing that I think regardless of whether it's a wooden bodied or a metal bodied, a nice heavy shooting plane will really make the job go that much easier. Uh, when it comes to the, say, the blade angle, the geometry uh, here, some people would probably be saying, you know, oh my gosh, well, a skewed angle will really, really help out with uh, making those cuts so much easier. And that, that's, that's very true. But to be quite honest with you, you can just put the plane in there, uh, the blade in there like you normally would at that 45 degree uh, bed angle, and you're still going to get the same results. The main thing is to have a really sharp blade, take kind of light passes. Uh, uh, but I'd be more concerned about making sure that that wooden body plane, that it's, it's nice and thick and heavy it's really going to make a difference when you go to actually cut the material. In fact, I keep thinking about, um, oh my gosh, I had his name in my head now. Tico. Uh, huh? Breeze or Tico or that like, um, I'm thinking of WIA when we saw the, was it the Breeze plane? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Breeze had a good one. Also, uh, but the first WIA, um, uh, Philly, Philly planes out of ah, uh, yeah. the UK. He had this, I think it was an African blackwood shooting plane. And if Carrie Haltman's listening, she remembers playing with this thing because the two of us, I think we're trying to figure out how we we're going to steal it. 
from the booth. <laughs> but this thing was dead heavy, and it was like once you got that momentum going, very much like the Breeze one, holy cats, it, it didn't matter what type of material you were shooting, it, that weight just carried right through it. And I know for a fact that the, um, the Philly Plane one, the blade was set at 45 degrees, if I remember correctly. So it's just yes. like a standard plane. Cool. Yes, I have one. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, it's, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's made out of Gunkala Alvis. Mine is anyway, which is also known as Tiger Wood. Uh, it's very heavy. Uh, it is, whether it's 45 degrees, but it's not low. It's not a low angle. I'm pretty sure it's 45 degrees. His is skewed, though. Um, it is skewed, okay. But, you know, I, I agree. I don't think it necessarily has to be skewed. But if you are making your own and you want to challenge yourself, why not? You know, hey, there you go. Make two of them. Skewed. Make one at 45, at the traditional 45 degree, and then the other one. Give a shot at that skew one. What the heck? The worst that happens, you get two planes out of it. The worst that happens is you skew it up. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? <laughs> All right. All right. Next question, please. <laughs> next question. Actually, you know, uh, we should. I know there was a question in there also about the actual shooting board itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think really just pretty much any standard shooting board uh, combination that's out there. I'm sure, Shannon, you have more experience with the shooting boards. Maybe you might have a couple of suggestions in there, but I think if you made that shooting board, especially the ramp or something specifically sized for that plane that you're going to be making, that's probably like the best of both worlds. Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've been of the mindset, and this is from a guy that actually owns one of Tico's shooting boards, but I've been of the mindset that when you're making stuff like that to not overcomplicate it and kind of could at least get something going. But woodworking in America this last year, seeing the plane and the way, um, regardless of whether it's one of the newfangled Veritas or early Nielsen's or whatever, but actually locking the plane in a chute like that, pretty cool mm-hmm. um there's something to be said about putting kind of that outside rail that holds the plane in place uh that has actually got me thinking about it on my own shooting board so you know um again it's it's different strokes for different folks some people who really enjoy making tools and making kind of work working jigs and things like that can go nuts um on it uh it's not really been my personality so as much as i think it's a cool idea i'll probably never get around to doing it <laughs> <laughs> Cool. All right. Next one is from Ron. He says, I'm so confused. It's time for this beginning woodworker to build a workbench. It's been fun to research all the possibilities. I'm going to to, hold on. Stupid microphone stands in the way. Man, first it's the headphones. (laughs) Now it's the stands. Oh, starting off the new year. Great. He says, I'm going to uh, scarf wrapped around the microphone stand and got in the way. (laughs) Yes, that's what it is. (laughs) I'm going to take a bit from this design and a bit from that. The bench I've got figured out because I'm working out of a one car garage. My bench can only be six feet long because I'll have to be able to move the bench around. I'll use a torsion box top. Thanks, Mark. I want the I want a bench that will work with all of my power tools. However, I also found Stanley number three and number five planes from the 1930s for 20 bucks each. I've reconditioned both and substituted Veritas blades and caps. There seems to be magic that happens when you use a hand plane, but so far it's only been able to I've only been able to clamp wood to my table saw. How much hand plane happiness would I have with a real workbench? Heck, I might be forced to buy some hand saws too. Uh, but I'll still use my portable power tools. But what about a vice or vices? Sure, I could buy some really expensive bench-crafted vices, but I'd rather spend my money on a Veritas number no. six four plane and a large Veritas shoulder plane. How many vices do I need? Front, tail, shoulder, or any of the dozens of choices? How can I save money but still have the vices I need? Okay, take a breath, Ron. I had trouble reading. How much reading time it. do we have here? Are we able to give him advice? <laughs> oh, that was. Really, that's really a, bad. That's worse than mine. 
totally yes, works. Okay, so I'm going to make this simple and and short. And uh, the re- first of all, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because in our last episode, we talked about overrated woodworking things. And one of those things that I mentioned was a workbench. So I wanted to bring this up because this is, this is almost the reason why we had that conversation really at the core of it is that a lot of people do get hung up on stressing out about getting that perfect workbench, especially for their first workbench. And and Shannon, you you came right out and said that you tell people, don't worry about it so much for your first workbench. You really need to get some time with the tools under your belt to even know why a workbench needs to have a particular attribute, right? Yeah, so no one ever listens to me, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I say it's that the, all the you time. said that? I thought that was somebody else. <laughs> There's yeah, actually so, an article in Hand Tool School that says don't build a workbench, but yeah, no one ever listens. Yeah, so here's the thing. I do have a couple of concerns, and I don't want to deter him and change his direction. I mean, part of the thing is, yeah, you don't need super fancy stuff, but it does sound like he wants to go down the, the, the route of creating a workbench. If that's the case, and he's asking all these questions about vices, the number one thing I'd recommend you do is not use a torsion box for the top of your bench. The reason is because, number one, I mean, yeah, the torsion box would have some heft to it and some weight, but ultimately the torsion box is hollow. Now, if you ever tried to chisel on something that's hollow or has spring back to it, you can't really chisel nearly as effectively because things tend to bounce a little bit. That slight reverberation makes every hit with a mallet that much less effective. Um, So if you're not transferring the momentum and the force down into a solid top, which goes into solid legs down into a floor, it's actually frustrating to, to work on. And I know that because I've got a torsion box that I occasionally will say, oh, this is closer than a workbench and use that for, you know, a chiseling task and go, wait a minute, this, this is not working as well. So if you're going to go down this route, I do encourage you to go with the solid top. Additionally, hooking up vices. Vices are going to be pretty tricky on a torsion box because it's hollow and vices are very heavy. Even the simplest ones are heavy. So you need something that you can actually secure those bolts into and you can't really, well, you can, but you have to really cobble something together to make it work on a torsion box. So if I can do anything for you, it's recommend you actually go with a solid wood top for this thing. Uh, as far as vices go, you can always add more. If you get right. this thing designed and it's a nice, simple top, especially with solid wood, you could just put, I mean, I survived for a very long time with just a single end vice. It was actually a twin screw vice from Veritas on my workbench. And I told myself, ah, oh, one day I'll put one up near the front, you know, if I need it. And I just never really had anything that necessitated it. So I didn't, especially as a, uh, primarily a power tool user, it just never came up. The more I got into planes and stuff, the more I realized I actually do need that for planing the, the, um, uh, the sides of boards and, and trying to joint the edge of a board. Um, I did need a, a, a vice up front. So you really initially just Put one on there. Start working with it. See what happens. Find your limitations because there's no better way to know what to put on your bench than to confront the limitation and say, oh, now I know why I need that. Um, But really, if you have one on the side and one in the front initially just to try it out, they don't have to be expensive. Just get a little quick release vice, install that sucker on there and see what you think. And I think you really need to get that experience under your belt and understand why all these recommendations and rules, quote unquote, of course, are in place about workbenches is because people confront challenges with work holding. And if you can't hold the work, then the bench is not doing its job. Um, And I think if you do that, you can definitely save yourself a lot of money and heartache by just kind of dipping your toe in the water a little bit and not being too committal with expensive uh, stuff at at the outset. You know, I think that's one of the things that's cool about some of the kind of the the latest uh, popular workbench designs 
whether it's the Rubo or the Nicholson or or the what is Lang's Robert Lang's twenty first twenty first century, century yeah. bench Holt Sopfel, all those they're kind of I like to call them blank slate benches because oh, yeah. they really are you can build them without vices and it's so easy to add them later mm-hmm. if you want and and they're they're heavy they're solid tops they're gonna you know stand up to a beating they allow you to use things like dog holes. Uh, which, you know, shoot, you can get by without dogs for a long, long time. Um, you know, overrated, speaking of overrated, is probably the invice. Um, you know, throw a front vice on that thing and you'll be perfectly happy um, for a very, very long time. The other thing, it, it, I, was it, I think it was Chris's first workbench book, Christopher Schwartz's first workbench book. Mm-hmm. He goes through this exercise somewhere near the middle where he shows, you know, different woodworking tasks and what would handle them best. And it's like option number one would be an invice. Option number two would be, you know, some dog holes and and a Veritas Wonder Dog or whatever. It's a really useful exercise. So take like your next couple of furniture projects and kind of walk through what am I going to need to do? Um, And it's really, especially somebody that's more of a hybrid um, like Ron you know, how am I going to do this? Well, I'm going to pull out my router for that, or I'm going to use my hand plane for this, and think about how would I actually hold those pieces in a real-life project scenario, mm-hmm. and and think about what you're actually going to need. And it's safe to say that if if you come up with some, and and I will I will make a little list and say like, okay, front vice, and I'll put a little check check mark next to it. I, I could use that here. And then you go back over to the list at the end and you see all the different vice options and, and it becomes very clear, oh, I've got 12 check marks next to a front vice and I've got one next to an invice. Well, I probably don't need an invice. And and if it's going to work for those next couple of projects, it's safe to say that it's going to work for the next 10 to 20 projects. Right. Um, and it could be a really, really good exercise. Um, the only other thing I'll say when it comes to saving money um, he talks about I could buy some expensive benchcraft vices or spend his money on a Veritas number six four plane and a large shoulder plane. Um, don't even spend the money on the Veritas number six four plane, and and go to my blog and look at the video I did on making a four plane out of a twenty dollar rusted scrap plane. You don't need to go spend a bunch of money on a premium four plane. That's not what they're used for. Yeah, and you know I'll add here. It sounds like he is in transition. He's a beginning woodworker, but he's talking about, well, I might buy some saws. And it sounds like he's really starting to find his, his groove, whatever it is that he's going to do, whatever tools they're going to be. And I think this is, this is actually what a large part of uh, my book talks about is, is how people sometimes start to slide down the hand tool route while they're still not quite letting go of, of some of those power tools. And you end up in a situation in both worlds where you confuse things because you've built in a lot of redundancy in your hand tool choices that are redundant with your, your power tool things that you already have in place. So this, I think is, well, as he's discovering what he wants to do, it's even more important that he doesn't get uh, too committal with the things that he has on his bench and he can change his mind later if he plans ahead. And I think workbenches is a fantastic recommendation. That's, I think a must read for anybody building a workbench and researching it because that kind of sets you up for your, like, you know, this is the the starting point. This is the basic template and you could build off of that. So, all right. uh, Shannon, you're up. Oh, what do you know? Paul (laughs) writes in and says, I've always got my lumber from a local hardwood dealer where you're pretty pampered. Everything is at least S3S. The stock is all good quality and you can pick through the piles at will to find exactly what you need. And they do your nails. A, yes, absolutely. While you pick through the piles, pampered, which is really hard to do. Pamper target. Right. Um, 
he says this is a this is a great convenience, but it's also quite expensive in comparison to prices I've seen posted online from smaller local mills and sawyers. Additionally, I have a joiner and planer, so I could work with rough sawn lumber if I had the option. Can you give me any advice on what to look for when purchasing from these smaller shops? Will I need to overbuy and pick through it? Uh, pick through it on my own for each project. A final wrinkle is that I'm driving around in a hatchback, so the max length I can safely transport is five and a half to six feet. Well, I think the the advice I can give you really doesn't matter whether it's a small place or a big place. Um, really, there there is, you know, what what are the kind of common etiquette when you come to a lumber yard? Most lumber yards, retail lumber yards, are going to let you pick through the stack and find what you want. Um, the the Number one cardinal rule is is put it back when you're done. Yeah, you know, make it. <laughs> it look nice and neat. Don't make a huge big mess and then leave that big mess um, because there's somebody there who's got to put it all back um, and it's just not fun. There's a lot of lumber employees who are kind of in a bad mood to begin with. <laughs> so you don't want to encourage that bad mood. Um, it is one of those things you hear a lot of people talk about. You know, bring along a black plane so you can see the wood. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, I always recommend going and asking the person at the lumberyard if it's okay. And in my experience, nine times out of ten, they say, no, it's not okay. You can't take a plane to that wood. Um, it, it's something where you should be able to come prepared with an idea of a shopping list. What pieces am I going to need for this particular project? And kind of, I always come up with a plan A and a plan B. Mm. You know, I would love it if I could get a 12-inch wide board. But if I can't find that, I can get two 6-inch wide boards. Have those and have them written down, not just kind of in your head. Because when you get to the lumber yard and all that lumber staring at you, you're going to go all, you know, drooly and everything and forget what you're there for. Um, definitely, if there is something really specific that you are, are looking for, it's a good idea to call ahead and just say, do, do you have this? And give them an idea of why you need this. Um, I know one of the biggest frustrations I hear from guys at work is you get these people who call in or email in and say, you know, I need uh, 100 board feet of, of this species. And, and that's all they say. And it's like, well, what thickness are you looking for? What width? What length? What are you actually doing with it? At the same time, we also get people who say, well, I need to have 15-inch wide stock. And you're like, wow, <laughs> you know, that may be a little hard to get. What are you going to do with it? Well, I'm going to make a bunch of doors. Well, why do you need 15-inch wide stock? Well, I'm going to rip it all into two-inch wide styles. It's <laughs> like, well, why do you need a 15-inch wide board? And there are people that are thinking in terms of, well, you know, my case is going to be 24 inches deep. So if I get a 24-inch wide board, I'll be good to go. You need to kind of think beyond that. Um, because a once you get over about 12 inches lumber gets really really expensive so it, it's a good idea not to show up with a cut list and hand the cut list to the lumber yard guy and say pull my lumber for me um that sounds kind of like what they may have been doing for each other lumber yard and you can expect to pay more for that because think about it how much time does that take to walk through and then they're making a lot of assumptions about how you're going to build the piece so you need to go and just be really prepared with exactly what kind of boards I'm looking for. Don't hesitate to look through the stack. Just make sure you leave it nice and clean when you leave. And you know what? Just overbuy. <laughs> like if, if you have the means, buy an extra board or two. Um, yeah. You'll thank me later. You know, you're yes. in the middle of the project and you go, darn it. You know, I screwed this piece up or that grain didn't look the way I thought it would or there's a crack I didn't see. I've got this spare board here that I can use for that. So if you can just get an extra board or two, um, mm -hmm. you're never going to really regret that. 
man. No, a lot I of these lumber yards will cut it down for you too. He says that he can't transport more than about five and a half to six feet. A lot of the guys will cut it down for you, but there's nothing wrong with putting a circular saw or a handsaw in your trunk mm-hmm. and just doing it right there in the parking lot. But if you do that, it's even more reason to be prepared with what you're buying. <laughs> Last thing you want to do is take an eight foot board, cut it in half, go home, realize, <laughs> okay, I need a 32 inch part. And you're left with this kind of 13 inch long board that you may never have a use for again. Yeah, there's definitely Whereas, strategic decisions you can make up front to, like that you could screw yourself if you're not careful, just like, oh, totally. let's you cut all these in half. Four feet out the door. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me cut them all in half. <laughs> just trying to fit it in the back of your car. So right. you really have to plan ahead there. Oops. Cool. All right, man. Sweet. All right. Well, hey, we got this uh, next question. This comes in from Peter. And Peter asks, I have a few hand power tools which are broken, burnt out, and not repair. Do you have a suggestion for an ethical or moral disposal? Ethical or moral? Why are you asking <laughs> us? That's probably like the worst thing. You I see why Matt picked this one. Yes, yeah, exactly. No it's part of one of my New Year's resolution. Be more ethical and moral in so many different ways. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so it goes on. Peter goes on to ask, I just can't bring myself to put them in the rubbish bin and or recycling system. Doesn't really cater for power tools. Actually, that's not so much as a question as a statement. So anyway, so uh, Peter's question is, what can you do with these morally and ethically to dispose of them? One thing that I'm going to suggest right off the bat, I did a, a quick little search on this. Uh, Depending on the your area, of course, there are larger recycling uh, centers, which if you contact them, they may have a suggestion for you. Maybe it's something that they normally take. If not, contact, say, a uh, like a repair center for whatever the manufacturer is of that particular tool. Say it's DeWalt. Contact a uh, a service center for them, and you may actually find that oftentimes they'll let you drop off the tools there, and they'll recycle them for you. In fact, uh, I found an article that was talking about how uh, Bosch and Festool will take those off your hands and recycle them for you, especially it doesn't matter if they're not working at all, if they're working just slightly, whatever. You just want to get rid of them contact those service centers and if they don't take them perhaps they may actually have a recommendation for you so that way you're not just simply throwing them into the landfill and uh, causing all sorts of problems that way which speaking of landfills is actually another resource that you could call them and they may have a resource for you too because there's a good chance you're not the only one that's asking this question Mm -hmm. and it will make you feel good inside to know that there's no seagull that's going to suddenly start choking on say an o-ring accidentally swallows your DeWalt drill battery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watch out. Whatever he drops some droppings, holy, oh my gosh, those bearings are going to kill you. Those seagulls will eat anything too. I mean, you throw it in the air, they'll go after it. They just realize afterwards, like, oh crap, that was a that was an 18-volt battery. <laughs> exactly. That was one of those Lancelot discs. <laughs> right. <laughs> there goes my neck. Oh, wonderful. So anyways, so hopefully, Peter, that will give you some ideas. There's definitely some resources out there. I even saw um, Lowe's and Home Depot. Not only will they recycle, uh, say, the, the very uh, uh, batteries for rechargeable tools, but there are actually some larger uh, versions of Lowe's and Home Depot or any of the home centers that will are, are also recycling some of the power tools. So uh, hmm. check in your area. You may have one near you. I definitely don't. In fact, I'm lucky that mine carries wood, which I don't buy. You're so lucky that it has staff there. <laughs> I'm lucky they let me walk in once in a while. <laughs> All right. So let's move into our iTunes reviews. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, you can do that. Just look us up in the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and you can ask Matt how he gets those biscuits so buttery and soft. Ooh, it's, I pop them in the microwave. I put them a little paper around them and a splash of little water on them. Mm-mm-mm. Delicious. All right. So we want to thank Neo Baseman, who had this to say. I really like this one, by the way. 
Uh, he says, I really enjoy this podcast and recommend it to woodworkers of all levels. I, for one, love the banter mixed in with useful information and opinions. The show reveals just how diverse the universe of woodworking is. Uh, great also to... Oh, okay. I, I typed this wrong. My bad. Great. Also to shake your hands at the gathering at Woodworking in America 2013. You guys really helped to promote a sense of community in the woodworking world. Well, thanks for that so much, Neo Bassman. I wish I knew yeah. who he actually was. Yeah, seriously. Was anyone there that looked like a bass player? What yes, do they look there like? There were quite a few people there that look like bass players. All of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. I was just watching my macaroni and cheese because somebody kept trying to take a bite out of it. That's true. That that's, that's, I didn't try that. It looked good though. Okay, remember, today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com. And don't forget, you can head over to TWWStore.com and pick up your fancy schmancy Wood Talk t-shirt. And uh, I wore mine at the mall over the holidays, and I got no comments about it because those people just aren't cool enough to know what it means. And that's how it should be. What are you going to do? Yeah, we don't want to be popular. We want to be underground. That's cooler. <laughs> totally. All right. Uh, thanking the recurring donors, by the way. If you want to make a recurring donation, you can do that. Just go to woodtalkshow.com. Look over in the left-hand column. You'll see some links for that. We always appreciate that kind of support. And we'd like to thank Brian Z, Glenn V, Corey G. This is almost sounding like an 80s rap band. It's like a boy <laughs> band. How did that happen? I mean, this is this is all like from the holiday season, so we got a bunch of them stacked up. But Brian Z, Glenn V, Corey G, David H. <laughs> Dave, you had to ruin it, man. And uh, and Daniel R. So thank thank you guys. Uh, we really appreciate the support. And uh, happy holidays, belated, um, since most of these came in around Christmas time. I think that's really awesome that we have such a fan base that all of them only have a single letter for their last name. That is yeah. so cool. It's, yeah, that's just something we inspire in people. Uh, simplicity. All right. So, uh, Matt, how about you give them that contact info? We'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, if you have a comment, a question, maybe you also want to like leave us an iTunes or a review or maybe a nice comment like uh, Neil Baseman, who will we'll completely forget who you are. Also, you can contact us several different ways. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous uh, previous episodes, I'm really tripping up on previous lately. Burder, burder, I don't know what it is. It's okay. But you're going to find all that stuff over at woodtalkshow.com. Very cool. Good stuff. All right. Well, great show. It's uh, We got another big year planned. I think last year was good. This year is going to be even better. By the way, I did the math, looked at the numbers, guys. I think we hit about 49 out of 52 weeks we did a show last year. Holy really? cats. That's pretty good wow. for a show That's that was really like... really good for us. We just kind of used to be like, eh, well, you want to do a show this month? I don't know. Maybe next month. <laughs> See, I feel like that happened like midway through last year that we decided to actually be serious. I guess it was longer ago. No, it was definitely longer because we got a full... Practically every week we, we did a show. So 49 out of 52. I'm like, That's a good... That's a good track record for any podcast, let that alone a, a, let alone a woodworking one. Let's go for 50 one. this year. Woohoo! Yeah. So that means we only missed three episodes? Yep crazy yes. right so hey yeah, let's see the nice knitters story. do that good stuff good stuff no wonder the numbers are good consistency always breeds good numbers that's for sure so, so that's controversy that's that's very true <laughs> uh thank you for listening everybody we really appreciate that and in fact it's the feedback it's the the conversations it's seeing how many people are listening and downloading this show that makes us want to do it every week so we really appreciate all that feedback thank you very much yeah, definitely. Uh, no, I can't wait to hear what award we won for the podcast awards. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. 
Most consistent podcast. <laughs> most likely to do 49 out of 52. I think we get maybe like a most improved or something like that. We should. <laughs> We're eligible for that. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. Yeah. about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.